Welcome to the Hear Us Yell podcast, guys. Today's episode is going to be featuring um, a TikTok sensation who dealt with the underhand of DCS and lost her kids illegally to the system. So that is what we'll be talking about today. You got to connect to your audio. There we go. All right. How are you? How are you? Good. Enjoying California. (laughs) Oh, that means we're on the same time zone. Oh, wait. I keep forgetting that. Wait, huh? (laughs) I said, oh, wait, you're from Arizona. We were already on the team side. Yes. Yes, we were. We were. It's all good, though. (laughs) That's why it was like PST time zone. Yeah. I'm always just like, it's Arizona time. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Arizona doesn't switch back and forth like um, ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's always just Arizona time to me. Yeah. So um, but. this is my first ever podcast. I just want to give some background. Okay. I've never done a podcast before. I've never interviewed anyone before. Okay. So you're the first. No, go for it. And <laughs> I'm here to help you. You're good. Hell yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure exactly where to start because, you know, you have a very um, public TikTok where you tell a lot of your story. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like sure if I should like ask you questions that people already know or. Yeah, you can ask me just whatever you want. I don't I don't care how in detail we get. Keep in mind, I do have PTSD. So sometimes like I'll lose my train of thought, but generally I can like get it back. But that is, you can ask whatever. I'm kind of an open book. So whichever way you want to go with it and whatever happens, happens. (laughs) And I'm sure that you'll be able to put something together off of it though. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I think I have it recording. I do. So I just record this and then I just edit some parts to where like, there's like, there's like long periods of silence. Like in the beginning, I started recording and there was nobody there except for me and I was muted and my camera was turned off. So I will edit that part (laughs) out. Yeah, no, and you'll be able to, yeah, I'm sure you'll be able to get what you need off of anything. Where do you want to start? Um, well, I wanted to start with, like, when everything first started happening. Yeah, and, like, how they got involved in my life? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to grab a drink really, really quick, <laughs> and then we can start. <clears throat> I've been with my girls. It's been crazy. (laughs) I have a moment to breathe. (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. So how did it all like start in general? Like, so my interactions with DCS started, it was November, 2019. I contacted them for help. I had removed me and my two older daughters. I was pregnant with my youngest at the time. So I removed me and my two older daughters from our home because he had a brain injury from a work accident. So his mental health had just declined to an unsafe place. He wasn't following his treatment plan and he kept having these like violent outbursts and the violence was towards me. It wasn't towards our kids, but still not a safe situation to keep them in. So I remove us from the home and I was told from a social worker actually that I met at the hospital that CPS had really supportive services for like low income families and I should reach out to them. 
So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we were definitely in need. I was overwhelmed with my circumstances. And so I reached out to see if they had like safe visitation centers because that wasn't something I could afford. Mm -hmm. And my ex-husband, he was a normal person 95% of the time, but that 5% of the time, just not safe. So we had an amazing relationship with our children. Um, and so that's why I still wanted to keep him as a functioning part of their life in the safest manner possible. And so I contacted them and that was November, 2019. And then by January 22nd of 2020 was my first meeting in person with DCS, um, where we all met together for a TDM. So a team decision-making meeting. And it was myself and like four of their employees in the room. And we walked through my experience and everything um, to set up like a safe plan and what services could be provided, all of that. And then at the very end of the meeting, after we all signed a safety plan saying I wasn't a threat to my children, we were all in agreement that I wasn't going to supervise the visitation. They would be able to provide those things. They put a second paper in front of me and said I needed to willingly sign my girls over as wards of the state of Arizona or they were going to remove them from me. And so I refused to do so. I was not going to sign my girls over. I didn't want the courts involved. There was no reason for it. I was a willing party. Um, And so I said no. I was pregnant at the time, so I was all hormonal, hungry, had just gone through this three-hour meeting talking about horrible things that my family experienced. Um, And then... I stood up and I said, if you're going to take my kids from me, then take them, give them to my parents. And I'm going to get them back one way or another because I'm a good mom. Like, of course, I'm going to get them back. There's no reason a judge would side with them. And so I left the meeting and I went to pick up my oldest daughter from school because I was like frantic. Like these people just said they were going to take my children from me. So I show up to the school and I was stopped by the principal and she let me know I was not allowed to pick up my daughter because DCS had called and they were removing my children. They didn't have a warrant. They didn't have anything like that, but I didn't want to cause a scene. My daughter was five at the time. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I wanted to do was to cause a scene. Um, she, she didn't need to see mom in that state of mind. So I left the school and I started making my calls like, what's going on? Um, and then we were in court a week later. The judge overturned the removal and placed my girls back with me. But we didn't even get a talk about like my girls were still considered wards of the state. We didn't even get a talk about what even brought us to that point and all the safety measures I took. And I had the department in court saying how I was an aggressor to domestic violence and all of these claims about me. And Yeah, it was just insane. I didn't even get a talk. I wasn't used as a witness. They had one witness take the stand. It was the supervisor um, who wasn't even in the TDM. She had a stand-in supervisor, but that's who they used in court. And she told the judge that my girls shouldn't come home to me. They fought tooth and nail that if removal should stay in place, the kids can go to grandparents' house. But I was living with my parents at the time. So that would have made me homeless and pregnant. And that's what they were pushing was the only option for the situation, which would have made things a thousand times worse. So thankfully, the judge ruled in my favor, placed my girls with me, but kept the case open because we didn't even get to go into those details. Um, So that's how all of it began. And the nightmare (laughs) had started. Yeah, that's that's a lot. It is. <laughs> it is. So, and that's you, just the first removal. <laughs> so you called them in to help you. You willingly allowed DCS into your life to help you. 
and then yeah. they turned around and went against you. Yes, they made what was already such a traumatic situation for my family a thousand times worse. It was already hard enough to, I mean, my ex-husband's brain injury happened three weeks after we were married. Like everything was still fresh. Like I had painted this whole reality. Our whole family did like we were a family and we were a blended family, but we were a family. And, um, all of a sudden that just changed everything. And my girls lost their dad and <laughs> I lost my husband at the time. And, um, and then to step into reaching out for services to try and assist us and see what we could do about getting him the help that he needed and some accountability and all of that all of a sudden it was trauma times 10 <laughs> so that must have been oh that's a wreck it, it really was it it gave me just a different perspective to reality all of a sudden freedom became a facade like why was this happening like the government was funding the traumatization of my family and I was very vocal about what was happening and they still continued to do it. I was like, look at And I even have notes from my therapist after the third removal on my case, because they removed them three times in one year. So after the third removal, my therapist who worked for the department from 2000 to 2020, she ended up selling her practice after my case and moving into different parts of what she does. But she um, put it in writing that they needed to redetermine what they were going to do because this wasn't going to help my family. They were going to traumatize my family and it wasn't benefiting any of us. So it was definitely a crummy experience. <laughs> so where are you guys at like now? Are they still, is the case still like open currently? Or are they still yeah. So my case, I ended up going ahead, um, last August. So August of 2021, I was about two years into my case and, um, my girls, well here, I guess I could back up a little bit. So my girls ended up experiencing two more removals. The last removal included my newborn, um, and they were taken from my care for 10 months. And, um, so I ended up just researching everything. I mean, these people were using lies to take my children and I had no voice in the courtroom. And so I tried to use my, um, public defender and my court appointed attorney and he was useless and I would pass him all of my information and he refused to file it, refused to file my evidence. Um, so all of a sudden through all of my research and contacts with different advocates throughout the U.S., um, I came across the preponderance of evidence or the preponderance of evidence. I came across um, the Lord have mercy. What is the word? I'm sorry, I went blank, <laughs> but hold on. Let me gather my thoughts. It, there's a specific word <laughs> I'm looking for. Oh, I remember now. All right. So after like researching and all of that and being in the battle for almost two years, like I gave up on my court appointed attorney and I ended up calling the judge's clerk on the appearance of impropriety. So, um, I called the clerk and you can't have like ex parte communication with the judge, which means that you're having like direct communication with them and the other parties involved in the case are not involved in that communication. So we didn't go over direct aspects of my case. I just stated that there was an appearance of impropriety with my attorney. I have all this evidence that 
is for a fact will change every, the outcome of my case and um, that I needed to file it and I had no way to do it. And so after going through some different routes, the judge's clerk told me I could file everything on my own, that I had tried all the avenues out there. So I was like, okay, now I have to prepare all of my evidence methodically so I can present it to a judge as if I'm my own attorney. So we ended that phone call. I didn't have another hearing for a month out. Um, however, four days later, I received an email that said I had a hearing in 48 hours. Um, and so this surprise hearing and I needed to throw all my evidence together. And so I did. And at the 24 hour mark, I filed all my evidence with the courts and I was able to get it to all other parties on the case. And then the next day, 24 hours after I filed my evidence at the hearing, the judge dismissed my case completely and gave me full custody. So that's how the case ended. My girls have been home. That was August 13th, I think was the official order. So my girls are no longer wards of the state. I haven't heard a peep from DCS. They didn't do any follow-ups, anything like that. Thank God, <laughs> because I don't think I could have mentally handled it. But um, yeah, my girls are home and they're all mine. That's so good. Um, I was wondering, so your youngest got taken from you three weeks after she was born? So she was three weeks when the second removal happened. And then what was it like? Not even two weeks later is when the third removal happened. So she was just like a month old. Yeah. So how did that affect you not being able to be there for like the first year? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, it still affects me. <laughs> um, hold on. <laughs> it's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're okay. You're okay. People need to know the reality and the impacts that like all of this truly does. Um, so <laughs> being a mom of three and experiencing what that bonding is, <laughs> experiencing what that bonding is with my two older girls and knowing for a fact what I'm missing out on on my youngest that has been the hardest part I have three daughters so like all of their clothes and I'm a single mom so all their clothes are just hand-me-downs so I got to see all the experiences and the outfits with the older two but I miss those little things with the youngest and um so yeah, just the bonding and everything. I mean, now, like, I feel like we've really rebonded. She's like my best friend. I, all three of them, I just love them. But um, it, it's really hard to look back and know I never get those moments and no one could ever replace them. <laughs> so um, it's definitely a crummy aspect. Um, yeah, and those nighttime snuggles hit different. Like when you have that newborn and people can say, don't co-sleep all you want, but it happens <laughs> because those nighttime snuggles just hit different. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, those, those moments can't be replaced. And that's the hardest thing to come to terms with. Like you, for all any of us know, we get to live this life one time. Like we live and we die and we get to enjoy what's in between. And the fact that I have this timestamp on my timeline of time that I missed with my girls is just still heartbreaking because it shouldn't have happened. 
<laughs> Sorry. You're fine. You're fine. I totally understand. I hope you're able to hear all of that through <laughs> this stop. No, I understand. Oh, this is why I do TikTok because it's not always live and I can just pause the video and people will be like, why are you smiling? This is weird. Like, this is a really serious thing. And I'm like, I'm just covering up a lot of hurt. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> you just went somewhere, right? You just went somewhere for a convention for foster care? So I was in Washington, D.C. There was a parents' rights rally that I was able to speak at. So that's where I was. I was able to meet with advocates throughout the U.S., and I actually was able to team up with a nonprofit organization. So I'm getting ready to come out publicly and, like, launch all of that because now we're setting up an actual process to help parents in need. Um, I still help with cases, um, but we just need something more organized. I'm all over the place. I have people contacting me like crazy, and I'm like, I can't help everyone, but I still try to, um, which is just failing everyone. I feel like I can't actually give the effort that each case needs because I'm pulled in a thousand directions and I'm still healing myself. Like I still have to make sure that I am able to be beneficial to the whole movement as is. Uh, so yes, I just went to DC, met up with some amazing advocates and we have a game plan and we're going to be putting it in action. I would say within the next couple of weeks that should be coming out. That is so cool. I just want to say, like, you and then one other person in this, like, TikTok community of, like, foster care are, like, uh -huh. my hugest inspiration. Oh, well, I'm glad you, I think you give so many inspiration, so many individuals inspiration too. like just being in this system, like you were in your story. And because I mean, because you had said you were kept away from your mom, right? And she was told you didn't want to visit her. That is just, you shouldn't have ever had that reality, especially when you have known such limited time with your mom still. Yeah, the attorney, same situation the attorney that I was appointed told would talk for me and I wouldn't know what they were saying so mm -hmm. they would yeah lies exactly and no we saw it in I saw it firsthand in my case too and it impacts every person it is never in the child's best interest they're just covering their own butts and whatever at the end of the day whoever they can take advantage of they do and that's a really mm -hmm. crummy part and the only answer I can find because I was like why are these people doing this to me like I'm a nobody <laughs> why would they put in effort to make my life miserable like this and the only thing that I've been able to locate is the financial aspect of it and the funding behind it. And that's where you get these insane decisions like your your case where they go, they did a full termination of parental rights, didn't they? Mm -hmm. On your mom. See, and that should have never occurred. But I, I went to court and I did that for myself. The termination of parenting, I did that because I was tired of the going back and forth. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of, um, a lot of good things that come from aging out of the system for college purposes. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I went home, mm -hmm. so basically I just took advantage of the, the system that took advantage of me. So good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> you yeah, it. It work in my favor. Cause I yes. going home. So 
I knew there would be no way I was going home, so I just took advantage of it. The same yeah. Advantage. Yeah. No, I am. I'm very happy for you that you took advantage of your circumstances <laughs> and made it the best for you. And you reconnected with your mom, right? Yeah. And things are good. Yes. Good. I'm happy for you. And look at you. You get all the benefits of aging now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of experiences. So if I ever become a parent, I know exactly how I'm going to raise my children, how I'm not going to. Right. I know. It, it, I'm sure you have seen a lot. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom myself. Like I wasn't that kid. I didn't get that experience. Um, and so I just couldn't fathom, but I love how you're taking advantage of it. Yeah. It's the I feel, you're going to make it. <laughs> how are your kids doing with everything that happened they're doing better um it was so they were placed back in my care my case was dismissed in august but they were placed back in my care in april of 2021 um i did an immediate return of children but they still kept my case open and they just lingered it out saying they needed to be involved in my life and so even though like, I mean, we're still dealing with stuff um, that is because of the whole situation, but it's gotten better. Um, the bonding is better. My oldest daughter really deals with a lot of like, she feels that she has the opportunity to just leave when things get hard, like just send me somewhere else type of a thing. That's her reaction when she gets like filled with really big emotions um she still will randomly bring up stuff about foster care that i know is just eating her up because she's still talking about it um so things like having to shower in front of the foster mom that yeah she knew how to shower and so or she complained of a tummy ache and so the foster mom took her to the doctors and it was a male doctor who found the need to look at her vagina for her tummy ache um and so things like that still impact her and I'm not okay with that as a mom. <laughs> like, that drives me absolutely crazy because there was, again, no need for her to be put in that situation in the first place. Um, and then with the younger two, with Penelope, which is my youngest, it definitely took a while for us to get that bonding. She's really attached to my mom. Um, and that's been something that's hard for me is like, Hey, I'm mom, but I feel that that's been rubbing off more and more like, because I've been home with the girls for a little while now. Um, I mean, I was working for that nonprofit, but, um, then I don't know if you saw that I exposed the advocate and everything. And so all of a sudden I worked for a nonprofit that wasn't really a nonprofit for like a whole month. And so it messed up my finances even more because my case messed up my finances. Um, so I've just been kind of home with my girls right now. And it, it's been a blessing in disguise, though, because we've been able to, I think, regain that bond. Um, but it's something I have to be so intentional about. But yeah, other than that, the girls seem to be coming from it okay. Um, still learning who's in charge in the household, um, but they're doing okay. My oldest will have breakdowns though, where she will say things, hurtful things, like normal moms don't have their kids taken from them and things like that. And normal. Normal. I, 
right right like it was an adventure what are you talking about <laughs> but she just yeah she'll just pick up on these little things where she'll get mad and that's what she goes to she goes to the case and she goes to well they took me from you so you're not a good mom and I'm like girlfriend <laughs> like she's just having hard seven-year-old moments but yeah no it's something that's still in the front of her mind and you can tell just because when she does have those hard moments, she always retracts back to the case and her experience. And I, I just have, she always says, I just have such a hard time with my big emotions because of DCS and because I was taken and all of those things. And so it, it's obviously bugging her. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that she can recognize that her big emotions are from like things that she went through. Yeah. And it's something that we were very, I was in every therapy visit with her. And so with her therapist and the department tried to speak against it, that I shouldn't talk to her about what's going on or the case or anything like that. Um, But she had questions. She's a very intelligent little girl who experienced a lot through this case. And so she wants some answers. She's just like me. And so I give her those answers and I have grown conversations with her, but at her level still, um, just on, I would say, generally people would be like, those are more grown topics. Well, that's what DCS went off of. But her therapist stood up for her and said, no, she wants answers and Heather is providing them in the best way she can. Um, so, but yeah, (laughs) it's something, um, that I still will talk her through and we're good at addressing those emotions and which emotions she's dealing with. And like, when she brings up the DCS stuff, I try to dig in with her, like, okay, which part of it makes you feel this way? And well, they took you, they took me from you and things like that. So I don't know. I I know I'm a good mom. (laughs) That's the thing is um, they fought me. DCS fought me on so many aspects to try to correct the way I was handling situations with my kids. However, every single third party provider, my parent aid, family preservation, all of them were on my side. Like, why do you even have an open case? We have families who actually need help. And yeah, we would sit there for all of my sessions. Like I had hours and hours of these sessions for family preservation and all of that every single week. And we would just sit there and talk about how wrong it was that I had an open case. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's made quite an impact on our day-to-day lives. And then there was a time, I can't remember, um, you were talking about how your kids were separated without you knowing. Yeah, so at the third removal. So the third removal, it was a Wednesday. We had another TDM. My whole family was there. Um, The girls were at a family friend's house. And then they told me that they were taking my girls from me and that no family members were fit. They were banning them from my parents. I mean, my mom was the director of children's ministry at my church growing up, like a huge church in the valley. My sister is a second grade teacher. Um, like my aunt and uncle are foster parents in the state of Arizona who adopted my two cousins out of the system. Yet they said no family was available, um, but we could keep them at the family friend's house until they were able to look more within our immediate family for placement. Mm-hmm. And so they were already at the family friend's house. And so it was kinship placement and they were going to stay there because it was it was because my sister's 
being used as placement was up in the air because she had just gotten back from California and was waiting on a COVID test. So the department was telling us, oh, we're going to place the kids there, but we're waiting for this COVID test. So that's on Wednesday. On Thursday, the COVID test came back negative. My sister informed the department. And then on Friday, they went and picked my girls up from the kinship placement and placed them in three separate foster homes. Stating no family was available because they didn't trust my family. It wasn't that they failed background checks. It wasn't for, it was just the department didn't trust my family because my family was open about, we don't agree what's going on. And we do feel that Heather is a safe party, but we will do whatever it takes to keep the girls out of foster care. Like we, if you say, don't let Heather see the children ever, we're never going to let her see them. And I even agreed to it. Like I wouldn't do that. Um, so yeah, they ended up still taking them though, placing them in three separate foster homes. They didn't inform me that they placed them in three separate foster homes. I didn't find out until Saturday, the next day after they were removed, because my family was like, she's going to lose it, <laughs> which I did lose it. Um, and yeah, my family, they decided to set up like a whole sting operation type of thing. They've got me out to a little resort in the Valley. Um, they're like, let's just do a staycation. Like it's the weekend. We'll start again, our fight on Monday. There's no one you can contact over the weekend, come out here and we'll make a plan, like a plan of action of what our family is going to do. Um, but at the time I thought the girls were in kinship care. So I get out to the hotel and I was sitting down at the pool with my parents. And that's when they broke the news to me. They like nonchalantly were like, yeah, they're in three they're They got picked up in there in foster care and we don't know if they're together or not or where they're at. Um, but they're no longer with our family friend. And, oh, I don't even know how to explain. I wept <laughs> like I didn't even cry. Um, but yeah, I just, I lost it and I went to a support group on Facebook that the department knew I was a part of because it's in all of my therapy notes. I'm super big on being like transparent and like when I'm struggling with stuff, I surround myself with support. And so I'm in the support group. And when I found out they were taken and we had no idea where they were and it's a Saturday and I couldn't do anything about it, um, I made a post stating that I was going to kill them, that um, I used three water gun emojis and said, what do I have to do? Make a national headline. My children were kidnapped by DCS. Um, and then in the comments, I went on to state how I was going to kill the individuals who did this. Um, and I had every, my mind was set. Like I was going to sacrifice myself to get my girls out of foster care because I had researched for months at that point because my case had been open about six months of the atrocities of foster care. So I just wanted to save my girls. Um, DCS found that post and they said that I obviously wasn't mentally fit because I said I wanted to kill them. And they banned me from every Arizona DCS location in the state. And yeah, so, and I like asked my court appointed attorney, cause I mean, I called the crisis line. Like I did everything that I should have in that mindset so that I didn't act on it. Um, because yeah, I was ready to go. I had a full plan in my head. Like I was, it was going to be insane. <laughs> I'm happy I didn't do it. Um, but 
yeah, no, they used it all against me that I was just a crazy person um, and said I needed a psyche valuation because of that aspect. So that is what they went off to hold out for so long on the removal of my girls. That's why the removal lasted 10 months is because all of a sudden they said I needed a psyche valve. Well, then they stated in order to have a psyche valve, I needed to do a minimum of 30 days of drug testing um, or else the provider wouldn't do the psyche valve. So I did over, over 30 days of drug testing, had my evaluation in the middle of the evaluation. We were like an hour in, she was like, there's notes that you record everything. Are you recording? And I hate lying. I just, I tell the truth all the time, even when it's not in my best interest. And I said, yeah, I am recording right now. Like if nothing's like, there should be no issue with that. Like, I just didn't want them to lie about what had transpired um, during the psyche bell. And so I was honest and the therapist told me that she had to stop the evaluation and that she could no longer continue because I was recording. So then we didn't get to complete the psyche bell. I had to reschedule it. But the whole time, the department's still telling me I need to restart my 30 days of drug testing again to sh show sobriety. For Drugs weren't even a part of my case, <laughs> but I needed to show sobriety. And so I started talking to my therapist about it, who was provided by the department, but I couldn't do a psyche through her um I had to go to a different provider yeah so um I started talking to her about it and she's like you don't have to drug test for these like you I do psyche valves for these cases and that is not you don't have to drug test for 30 days before doing it like they're trying to prolong your case so I brought it up to the department they still tried to deny deny that I needed to do this drug testing and so I found my own Arizona DCS contracted provider I called the office scheduled an appointment then I called my caseworker and said, Hey, send the referral over. This is the office I'm doing it at. I don't have to drug test. Um, and then, so they contacted the office, got that appointment canceled. I had to find another provider. So I didn't take the removal happened in July, July 22nd of 2020. I didn't take my psyche valve until December 5th of 2020. That's how long it took for them to get me into a psyche valuation to be completed. Because they kept this prolonging. And then the results are supposed to take three weeks to come out. No, I didn't get my results until February. It was done December 5th. I didn't get my results until February. And then my court-appointed attorney was like, okay, well, they said the psyche valve is the one thing they were waiting on. So, because I kept pushing, like, I want to rule 59 for immediate return now. Like, you need to file it. And he's like, we need the psyche valve. We need the psyche valve. So then finally he files for that. And by April, I had my girls home. So I shouldn't have had to go through all that time without my girls. There was no reason. I didn't learn anything new. <laughs> no true service was provided to my family other than I would say my therapist. My therapist is absolutely amazing. She's still on speed dial. <laughs> like When she closed her practice, she kept me on as a client um, because she saw what had happened to me and how much I need. I need her help. <laughs> like I couldn't do it without her. How was that reunion, like, when you finally got your girls home? It's like <laughs> a, weight, a weight off my shoulders. Not all the weight, because I still had, like, the hovering department for months and months. But it was like a weight off my shoulders um, to be a grown adult 
and be a parent and have to have a babysitter or not be able to leave locations with your children, I still have to be intentional about like getting out and going places with the girls because I'm so conditioned to having to stay in one place. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to leave anywhere with them and I wasn't allowed to like take them to the store with me or anything like that. I always had to have a third party. Um, So getting them home was just like all the restrictions lifted. Still terrifying because the case was open so they can literally show up to your house and say, we want to search your home at any moment, but still my girls were home and, um, yeah, <laughs> it was relieving. It, it was very, very relieving. Yeah. I wanted to bring, I wanted to do this cause I wanted to bring light to like both sides of it, you know, mm-hmm. like there's obviously reasons for people to be taken from their home but then there's also Arizona DCS and Texas that I've noticed taken Mm -hmm. for no reason yes reasons that they actually make up like they lied in and made things up they said that I used to hit my ex-husband and that he told them that that never occurred like he had to correct the record but it is still on the record that I abused him and just crazy things those things never occurred and so it's just insane is that where they were trying to make the point that you were the aggressor yeah, they said I was an aggressor to domestic violence. And what they used is the when I removed me and the girls from the home, it's because there was a domestic violence incident. It was just me and my ex-husband home. The kids weren't in the house. Mm-hmm. He came in the home. He was livid, threw me up against the wall. And I'm pregnant during this time. So like choked me, threw me up against the wall, like just tossed me around like a rag doll. And so after he left the house, I was just livid. I was had had enough. Like I was fighting so hard to get him the help that he needed, all of this stuff. And then I'm his punchy bag, like while I'm pregnant. And being that at 19, I was in an abusive relationship where I got my butt beat all the time. I learned that you can't fight back in those situations. It just makes it worse. Like I'm five two, barely a hundred pounds. <laughs> like I don't have much of a fight and it would just make it worse on me. So when he left the house, I was livid and I was mad that I couldn't stand up for myself and that he could overpower me and all of that. And so I took a hammer to our equally owned motorcycle and I sent him a text and I said, bruises heal too bad motorcycles don't. And I just dinged up the gas tank of the motorcycle. I ended up getting charged with disorderly conduct or domestic violence over it. I had to do 26 weeks of classes because I'm honest. So I was like, hell yeah, I did that. (laughs) I did. And I would do it again. (laughs) But yeah, he ended up getting no charges. I had like all my bruises, all of that. He got no charges, but I got charged and had to do 26 weeks of classes. But that's what they went off is they said she's an aggressor to domestic violence because she has a DV charge pending from the city of Gilbert. Well, the judge just listened to that instead of looking at the police report and seeing that I was just got the crap beat out of me while I was (laughs) pregnant and I had dealt with years of this craziness after his brain injury that yeah I had a moment I I did I had a moment but I didn't beat him with a hammer I was in a home alone (laughs) like it wasn't I don't know I don't think that that makes me an aggressor to domestic violence in any way shape or form 
Well, when the domestic violence already happened. Thank you. <laughs> it didn't lead to any more domestic violence. Like that was the outcome of domestic violence. Like that was post domestic violence. I know it's crummy. I still owe, I owe like $300 and then I'm done with it. It won't be on my record, but I have to pay like 300 bucks before September. I'm like, really guys, <laughs> just beat me while I'm down. <laughs> you have to pay $300 for what? The classes? The courts. No, no, the, my insurance covered the classes, thank God, <laughs> because I was really upset about it. I was like, there's no way I'm paying out of pocket for this. So like, I can't, like, I just couldn't. It was so hard. It, like, they wanted to throw me behind bars because of it. Like, it was, it was insane. I'm, I wish that I would have gone through the courts and just, like, represented myself. But again, courts are scary. And so I went with my public defender's opinion of just taking the plea agreement. And so I did it. But oh, my pride, <laughs> my pride was hit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did it. But you shouldn't say I'm a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to shout out any of your social media or any foundations? Yeah. So, um, I'm on TikTok at my three plus me, um, and it's all spelled out. There's no special <laughs> symbols in there. It's just my three plus me. Um, and then also, if anybody is looking for assistance as far as finding out more about your rights, if you have an open CPS case, you can always check out the Family Forward Project on Facebook. That is run by Connie Reguli, and she is absolutely an amazing. Um, she's been an attorney for years and years. Um, and she's actually going through a whole court battle right now. Um, she's been targeted because of her works, um, within this. <laughs> yes. So they actually are, I, I believe it's all finalized that they disbarred her as an attorney. She's facing like three felonies right now. Actually today is her hearing, um, for one of her cases. Yeah. It was like, she's in Tennessee. It was like a small town setup type of a thing that happened I met with her actually in DC but again she's absolutely amazing so if you check out family forward project um, on Facebook every state has their own page as well and then there's like the main page um, but that's where parents can find more resources that's where I found out about the appearance of impropriety and that's where I found my advocate um, that helped save my family so that's one that I would send anyone to and in the next couple weeks I will be able to let everyone know about the nonprofit. So we are working through a name change right now. And then um, once that is set in stone, I will give all of those details. All right, there we go, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that was good enough, I'm sorry.